0: Welcome to Shibboleth Messianic Community, it's the 12th, right? Oh, the 14th, right? I didn't get enough sleep last night. I'm telling you, I had a message that I've been studying for all week, and when it was time my mind wasn't working I was even afraid that I would mess it up or or interpret something wrong and lead, cause confusion or, or stumbling or something so I almost changed the message and after praying and praying and praying and even realizing that possibly, quite possibly uh, demonic attack not wanting this message to be This message has a lot to do with Hanukkah. We'll find out at the end. Okay. Um, The question is, is the Torah, the law, a tree of life? Because we often hear this in Messianic teaching. The Torah is a tree of life. And I often... Sometimes, and I like that sound. I mean, I find artwork, not, not this time, but I've found in the past, I've found <laughs> artwork to, uh, to do that. Now, the question is, is it, is, it, is it true? You know, sometimes there's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of things that go on in, in Christianity that okay? we just assume is true. Like Christmas is Jesus' birthday. We just A lot of people just assume that's true. And we find out someday that it's not true, and then it begins to rattle our faith. Say, Wait a minute, this is a pagan holiday. Uh, it was a, a holiday by the heathens before, he, before even Yeshua came, before he was even born. So what's going on? Well, I remember once I was at work, and um, we had a Bible club there. At lunchtime, we would study the Bible together, and every now and then, we'd have a guest speaker. And one time, we had this guest speaker come in, and he was preaching his sermon, and he was teaching or whatever he was doing, but he used the phrase over and over again, uh, sanctifying grace. That sounds good, sanctifying grace. Hey, okay, Sanctifying is good, grace is good, sanctifying grace. So I went to look for it in the Bible, couldn't find it. I understand the concept of sanctification, I understand the concept of grace, but I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible where it talks about sanctifying grace. It sounded so good. And so I looked it up on the internet, and it turned out that this was actually... A Catholic doctrine, the expression, and has had to do with the worship of the Madonna, the uh, female, you know, goddess that is, that, uh, is now replaced by uh, the uh, uh, Mary, the mother of uh, Yeshua. Even though she doesn't, she, she's not that, but that's what they've done. They blended the two things together, and so I found that this guy had a strong Catholic background, and so he carried on this sort of this, this thing with him. Well, in Judaism, definitely, ask any rabbi, yeah, the Torah is a tree of life, so now we're messianics and wanting to get back to the root of our faith, the Jewish roots of our faith, and we've come to take this as, as a, a fact that the Torah is the tree of life, or a tree of life, and I'm questioning that. With the scriptures, I'm questioning that, because what if in our desire to go correct all the rest of the church in their error, that we have some errors of our own? that need correcting? Huh? What if we got a telephone pole in our own eye and we want to pull the beam out of our brother's eye? Think about that. Please go to the second slide, which is 2 Corinthians. Here's the, this is the Bible. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not hardly going to share much of my thoughts except that I can't seem to stop talking. But the, the thing I want you to really hear is when I put the scriptures up there, I'll comment on the scriptures, but you see the scriptures because that's the holy inspired word of God. Even in the New Testament, because it's written in the New Testament that Paul's writing is scripture. It was already understood that what Paul in the New Testament, it's already understood the New Testament speaks of Paul's writing as scripture, even though the new covenant hadn't been assembled yet. It was an already guarded as scripture. Here is Paul teaching... The Corinthians, and I'm just going to jump right into verse 4, just so we can see some important points here. Such confidence we have through Messiah toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. New covenant. Covenant is an agreement. Covenant is not, necess- is not the, the law or the Torah. The covenant is the agreement to do the Torah, right? <coughs> to obey. Okay. But now there's a new covenant. Let me go back, verse six. Uh, Who also made us adequate servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Now, when Paul says not of the letter, he's oftentimes referring to the written Torah. You'll see it in a minute. He says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, I'm not sure that he's talking about the, the commandments of God. He'll look at the next verse, verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, what letters is he talking about engraved on stones? Ten Commandments. He says, But if the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? What is Paul saying? When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, he had a radiance about him. Right? Because of the Torah. I want to make it clear right now. I'm not saying anything negative about Torah. I'm not saying anything negative about the law. It's good. It's righteous. It's holy. It's perfect. It's wise. Only one problem. We can't do it. It is a ministry of death. When Moses came down... They couldn't look intently on him. And they, Moses covered his face because that glory was fading. The law written in stone. And then now Paul is talking about the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently. I want to look at the end of 7. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. the end of verse 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, I want to look at something. I told you earlier in the Parsha reading. Everything seems to be compacted, super compacted into Genesis, right? Everything. It's like Genesis is this kernel of truth. And in it, it unfolds with more and more truth. It just keeps on unfolding. Everything is compacted in there. Look at Genesis. The next slide, please. That's slide, three. Okay. What I want to look at, we're talking about a tree of life. Let's, let's go back to Genesis and let's... We see the tree of life in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. We see the tree of life at the end of the Bible in Revelation. And a few times we see the phrase tree of life referring to wisdom, which the Torah is wisdom. So let's look carefully. I've only I've selected some some scriptures out of the first two or three chapters of Genesis to follow a thread because, like I said, it's compacted. And if you look at everything in Genesis, you'll, you 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 gotta you gotta follow the the, the thread. It says in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six through twenty seven. By the way, for the recording, I think I forgot to mention it. Earlier reading was from 2 Corinthians chapter three verses 4 through 8 but now we're in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them what is this saying? This is the sixth day before the Sabbath day of rest. God created man in his own image. And skip up to, uh, go to the next slide, please. Is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. It goes in a little bit more detail, how God created man. Most... Non believers will stumble in the book of Genesis. They'll stumble with God in the very first verse. In the beginning, God created. People don't want to believe that. They have a problem with the whole rest of the Bible. God even explains how He created. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 9 says, Then Yahweh, Elohim, Lord God, formed man of dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became. Uh, a living being with the breath of God. That's like the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, breathed into, into dirt. Adam became a living being or in some translations a living soul. He says, then God, now check this out. Verse 8, then Yahweh Elohim planted a garden. Who planted the garden? God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground of the out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food okay in the garden that God made God puts trees that are beautiful with fruit with food on the trees whatever kind of food food fruit I would imagine whatever you know uh, Okay, and it says that um, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, look, God put those trees in the garden. And by the way, in other verses, uh, God looked at all that He had done and said, It is good. It is good. He didn't put some bad things in the garden. You know, God didn't create sickness, He didn't create sin. The garden was good. Everything in it was good. The tree of life is good. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is good. It's not a bad tree. It's a good tree. Look in the slide number 5. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then Yahweh Elohim took the man the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. He had some work to do. In verse 16, the Lord God commanded a man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Any tree in the garden, it's all beautiful and it's all good for food. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for any day you eat from it, you will surely die. And in the... Hebrew, it's got die twice. I can maybe we we'll look at that during the Brethren's meeting. We, we have time. It's like die, death, or it's it's got it's got the word die twice. The point is, the simple point is this: one simple commandment for Adam, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And uh. It's kind of interesting uh, if God doesn't want Adam and Eve to eat from that tree why do you put it there you know God can test us the Bible says God tests us but he doesn't tempt us who tempts us the devil will tempt us why does God let the devil tempt us maybe that's the test God doesn't do the tempting there's an evil devil you know And God knows everything. I'm sure he's got... He saw this coming because he's God. He saw... You know what's coming is that Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as we look at this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the effect of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, consider what we're reading about uh, the Old Covenant and the law of being a ministry of death, even though it's good. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I don't know exactly what this means. Does that mean, see, God created everything good. So I'm assuming Adam was good. I don't think he was, like, sinning. Or maybe he was in a naive state. I'm not so sure. But the point is, if he was good, I don't think he would have been sinning. thing is, Adam. I, I believe Adam was created good. I don't think he was sinning. And I think sin entered in through that one act of disobedience and that's the fall of man. But I don't want to go there because I want to stay focused on this. The question, is the Torah a tree of life? The next slide, slide number six. Genesis chapter three, verse one through three. It says, now the serpent, now that's the devil, right? We know from other scriptures, definitely that's the devil. Was more crafty, more tricky than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden." This is a twist. Satan's using his trickiness right here, because the answer to that question, it could be, it's an you it could be yes or no. It's 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 vague. Yes, he did say that. Actually, you can go back on... Uh, God did say that, but that's not all he said. God said, yeah, we can eat from any tree, or she could eat from any tree of the garden. But he also said, except for the one. So she, she, she comes out and corrects it pretty well. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. Okay, So she brought some clarity... Although her clarity seems to be a little bit different than what God says, there were two trees in the middle. The one she was not supposed to eat was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He did not forbid her from eating from the tree of life, and He didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. Okay. Sometimes I look at this and I think this is the first rabbinic commandment. You know, if there's a commandment, um, don't do this, then the rabbis will just take it, make it really big a little harder so that you can't get even close to doing it and, but it's not the same you can't change the word of God it seems like that's what's already going on and in an effort to keep the one commandment not to not to eat from the one tree it's like don't even touch the tree and don't even eat from any trees in the middle of the gardens you know that maybe but go to the slide seven it's just it continues on verses 4 through six. Genesis chapter three four through through six It says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. Now that's a lie. That's the definite lie. He lied to her. And he uses a truth as he lies to her. He says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. That part's a true statement. We'll see later. That part's a true statement. But it's not true that they won't die because God said they would die. Satan lied to Eve. So verse 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Yes, God put it there. It was good for food. He didn't say the tree of knowledge of good and evil was not good for food. He just said, don't eat it or you'll die. He put trees in the garden that were beautiful and good for food. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was a beautiful tree and good for food. Right? you follow? It's just that she was told not to eat it, or she would die. Same with Adam. So, so, so um, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, wise is a good description of Torah, God's wisdom is in Torah, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. It's not really a bad thing to have your eyes opened and to know good from evil. The problem is that they were being disobedient. The problem is that we can know good and evil but we can't do good. Especially now that we've had to as collectively as Adam all of us being Adam in order to get to this Point of knowing good from evil, we had to disobey God to get there, and so you got this paradox. If they would have just left well enough alone, they would have been good just by being good because God created them that way. But by disobeying to, to learn the difference between good and evil, they became sinful. So verse 7 And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So they tried to cover up their nakedness. This is an idea of trying to cover our sin. The the next slide, verse 8, I mean, uh, uh, slide 8, Genesis chapter 3, verses 21. You see the foreshadow of atonement already right here. Maybe this is why they didn't die that particular day, but they began to die. They began to die a death somebody else died that day the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve for Adam and his wife and clothed them God made an animal had to die they probably never seen death I don't think there was any death until this happened it must have been terrifying and they're wearing the animal skins it's, there, it's reminding them that something died so that they can live but it's just a foreshadow it's not the true atonement but it's pointing to the one that's coming and God clothed them see how gracious and merciful God is he covered them they're trying to cover themselves with, with itchy fig leaves that, that are going to shrivel up and, and fall apart it wouldn't work God clothed them by killing an animal to stand in for them they eventually did die It's died. there's two deaths there's a spiritual death that happened to Adam and Eve. And he clothed them. In verse 22, Then Yahweh Elohim said, Behold, check this out, this is what, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. That's exactly what the devil said. The devil didn't lie about that part. See, the devil doesn't always lie. He uses truth and then slips some lie in there to deceive us. That's... Beware. If the devil was always a liar, be if the devil had ugly horns and a big red tail, it would be so easy, but he comes dressed as an angel of light. Comes dressed with some truth and just enough lie to distract you to go the wrong way to do the opposite of what God wants. But check it out. Behold, the man has become like one of us doing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. This is interesting too. If he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that would cause him to die, but he could still eat from the tree of life and he wouldn't die. Does one undo the other? It's evidently, yes. However, he would have been left in that fallen condition, eternally sinful and God didn't want that. He didn't want them to live forever in that fallen condition. So he removed the tree of life so that they couldn't touch it. Therefore, verse 23, God sent him out of the garden from Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed a cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way To the tree of life. The way to the tree of life. What does that remind you of? The way to the tree. Yeshua. He said, Yeshua said of Himself that He is the way. Yeshua is the way. He says that. He's the way to life. And in Revelation we see there is a tree of life. And the ones that have access to it are the ones that have washed the robes. How do you wash a robe? Blood of the Lamb. Confess your sins. Now, God doesn't want us to continue to be sinful. We need to repent. Now, okay, go to the, the next slide. And we're going to read a whole bunch of verses from Corinthians. Because I want to get a little more context. We read a little bit of this before. Now I want to put more context in it. Because what I'm trying to show is that the Torah is more likely symbolized by the tree of knowledge of good and evil and if you don't believe me let's look and see how Paul describes the Torah and you'll begin to understand Romans chapter 7 if you have this concept that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a good tree it's a beautiful tree it's good for food but it doesn't bring life it brought death And then you start to understand when Paul talks about the law versus the spirit. Understand these two concepts. You start getting a a picture based on the Genesis. Paul is never speaking against Torah. Like I said, it's good, it's righteous, it's holy, it's wise, it's just, it's spiritual, all these good things. Only thing is, it's it's not going to bring us life. It doesn't bring us life. In fact, what it should do it should bring us death because it should convict us of sin, and then we should die to ourselves by not doing that sin. But we're saved by grace, and it doesn't, the law doesn't have this power over us to convict us, to to I mean not to convict us, but to kill us, because Yeshua took it. And now, now that we understand this, well, let's just read. Let me hear what Paul says, because I think you can. I, I think I wouldn't even have to preach; I could just read. Bible to you. So let's start with chapter two. Oh, excuse me. Yes, Second Corinthians chapter two, the last verse of chapter two, and then all of, almost all of chapter three. This is for context, but we're going to get into the point I'm trying to make. Okay. It says, for we are not like many peddling the Word of God. Sounds like Paul was like, he must have been alive just like last week. (laughs) We are not like many, peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Messiah, in the sight of God. Paul is trying to make a distinction between the peddlers of the Word and himself. And then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, Are we not... Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Yes. He good. Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Messiah. He's using this word letter purposely because he's getting ready to talk about the letter of the law. Talking about the letter of Messiah. Verse 3. Being manifested that you are a letter of Messiah, cared for by us, written not in ink, but with the Spirit of the Living God. With the Spirit of the Living God. Not on tables, tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know, the human heart has two sides, too. You ever wonder why there's two stones? This is a symbolizing of a heart. We have God's law written in stone, the letter of the law, and he's talking about the letter of Messiah, and he's talking about not written in stone, but written on tablets of human hearts. In verse 4, Such confidence we have through Messiah toward God. Not only, excuse me, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants, servants of the new covenant. That's the the letter of Messiah written on our heart. Adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, that's the old covenant written in stone. But of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You get the idea of a tree of knowledge of good and evil is a good tree, but it brings death. The law brings death. It ought to cause us to die to ourselves and mourn. It doesn't bring life. It's good, it's wise, and you will be blessed to do what God says but it can't bring life that we need. Next slide, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, continuing on, verse 7 through 11. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory, you understand. The Torah is good. It caused Moses' face to shine. Israel saw it; they couldn't even look. Moses covered himself up, not because it was fading. Moses covered his face up because it was fading. The glory was fading. You could do good deeds based on Torah, glory, but it's fading glory. It's not going to bring the life. The Spirit of God, written on the tablets of our heart, the letter of Messiah. This is life. This is much more glorious than the Torah written in stone. Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, Paul is talking about the Torah, a ministry of condemnation. Yes. How is it that I can fool myself into reading? the Torah and not feel condemned. You know how? Because I bring, if I do that, I will bring the righteousness of that revelation of the the law down where it's not the revelation of the law anymore. And then I can fulfill it and feel like I got some glory. It's a ministry of condemnation. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Yeshua teaches the Torah back in its original context is righteousness that we can't reach if I look at a woman with lust in my eyes I've already committed adultery I'm deserving of being stoned how can I not be condemned by looking into the law that's the purpose of the law 1 Timothy chapter 1 but that's not where we're going I'm just giving that as a reference if you want to read how to use the law. What's it for? But um, it says, For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, yes, the law is glorious. It's a glorious revelation of God's righteousness except for one problem. I can never do it. How much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? It's talking about the Spirit. God's free gift of righteousness by trusting in the blood atonement. For For indeed, what had glory in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. In other words, having the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the the law is given So We were told to to wear tzitzits, right? To remind us not to sin. But we have the Holy Spirit to remind us not to sin. The law is glorious, but next to the Holy Spirit, it's not glorious anymore. I'm reading the Bible. For indeed, what had glory, in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. What are you talking about? The fading away. Moses righteous his shining face is fading away. He's got it covered up with the veil. The Torah can only help for a short time. Maybe you can do some good deeds for today or tomorrow, but is that is that good deed going to last, is it going to get you into heaven, is it going to make you alive no, but it's good I say do it the Holy Spirit is what Paul's talking about it remains this glory that we have from inside the Spirit is a glory that's going to remain 2nd Corinthians this is slide 11, 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12-18 to as we continue on trying to capture the context of what Paul is teaching. And I hope you guys can grasp this because I'm reading the Bible. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. This is why people wanted to kill Paul by the way Jewish people that didn't believe in Messiah Interpreted Paul as speaking against the Torah When we can see clearly he never spoke against the Torah He's speaking for the spirit of God The glory that lasts And so how sometimes we messianics I mean we lose focus of the important things Because some, some uh, phrase sounds so nice But it's not even biblical And Christians, uh, you know, we are Christians in in essence because we're followers of Christ. We like to call them Messiah. It doesn't matter whether you're Messianic or Baptist. All religiosity, they end up doing this. Hmm? We just have our own way of doing it. We do it in a Jewish way. We need to listen, go back and listen to the the Jewish apostles. He says, verse 14, but in 13, he said, That glory was fading away. But their their minds were hardened. Who's? The non-believers. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Messiah. What is he saying? What veil? For me to go back and look at the Old Covenant and see it as the way Jewish people see it. Oh, it's the tree of life. That's because they they are still looking through that veil that covers it. The way Moses covered it. It looks to a Jewish person as glorious because they don't have Messiah. If they could see Messiah, they would see that this old covenant law is fading away and that we should more so want the Spirit of God to rule in our life. It's better... Plain and simple. Plain and simple. I'm agreeing with Paul. He's saying that, verse 14, I'll read again, but in their minds, but their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, he's not saying don't read the Old Covenant because let me tell you something, he told Timothy, pay attention to the readings on the Shabbat read the, the Old Covenant it's, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, right, uh, for uh, correction and training in righteousness he's not against it he's pro-Torah I think if I went through the New Testament and every time I saw a spirit and replaced it with law all the messianic would say amen but that wouldn't be what the Bible says let's stay focused you know God gives us these types and shadows that point at a real thing the Torah is a shadow. Hebrews 10.1, maybe we'll read that in a minute. I don't think I have a slide for it. I just hope that we can stay focused on the substance as we, as we value the shadows. Let's stay focused on the substance. But their minds were hardened, verse 14. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it was removed in Messiah. Once you have Messiah and you have the Spirit and you have something much more glorious, even if I sin, and we all sin, I don't feel condemned. I feel corrected, yes, but I don't feel condemned Because I'm not under the Torah But I'm under grace And that should not give anybody a desire to sin more If you give them a desire to sin more You probably really haven't made Yeshua your Lord You just heard about it An easy way out Verse 15 But to this day whenever Moses is read A veil lies over their heart But whenever a person turns to the Lord The veil is taken away Now the Lord is the Spirit How does that work? Because Yeshua said He's going to be with the Father and He's going to send Himself, the Spirit, to us. He's with us. The, the compound unity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. It looks like three to us, but it's one. He is one. God is one. Elohim echad, one God, A compound unity. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. What does that mean? Liberty? I can go sin? No, 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 no. That's not liberty. That's some other... That's that's licentious. Liberty that we have is to not sin. Hmm? I don't have to do the things that I used to do. I've got liberty not to sin. That's liberty. Sin is bondage. Spirit. Say that again. Now, the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's a battle in our mind. I tell it to kids, I tell it to the adults. And we have the spirit to liberate us in this war against the flesh, the world, and the devil. We are liberated. The Torah couldn't do that for us. The spirit can. I mean you can the Torah's good, but you read all the laws and it's not gonna you can't do them. Go with the Spirit. But we all, verse uh, 18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You see, from the inside out we are being changed. The Torah is good. The Torah will teach you how to look good from the outside do the good deeds and it makes you look good and that's not bad I mean there's a lot of very successful Jewish people because they keep the Torah I think that everybody ought to practice keeping the righteousness that Torah gives us it works but it's not the thing that saves us it's not the thing that gives life the thing that gives life to the spirit and we are being changed from the inside out we want to do things that in our former time doesn't even make sense, and we don't want to do the things that our flesh wants. We've got two natures. Let's go on to uh, Hebrews. We're talking about the fading away. I'm going to read this one kind of fast. In Hebrews chapter eight, we we'll start in the middle of verse. Uh, we'll start in verse seven, and we're going to go to verse thirteen. Mostly what Paul is talking about here, he's quoting from Jeremiah 31, 31, thereabouts. He says, for if the first covenant had been faultless. Now, the covenant is the the covenant. It's not the law. It's the agreement to keep the law, right? Keep the law and you'll live. Break the law and you'll die. Good. Except for one thing. We all break the law, so we're going to die. Oh, not good then. Okay. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been uh, no occasion for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, and now quoting from Jeremiah 31, Behold, days are coming, says Yahweh, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. Broken. And I did not care for them, says the Lord, says Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. He says in slide 13, I will put my laws into their minds and write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, everyone his brother saying know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more this is in the New Testament it's Jeremiah 31 31 being interpreted in the New Testament I do believe that the, ful- the fullness of this prophecy being fulfilled is still yet to come but it's it's happening now it's almost like there's there's like these two big wheels. One's rolling away and one's rolling in. Well, the old covenant... Look at verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, some people will interpret that as meaning... Uh, gone. N- null and void and not effective. That's not... Paul interprets what he means. He says when he made the first... It says when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear now understand, Moses and the veil understand, the old covenant Moses comes down glowing but it's fading away the old covenant is fading away, it's still in effect new covenant is in effect too, there's like two why do you think when we're told uh, Paul tells Timothy, pay special attention to reading on Shabbat or on whatever day you worship read, reading in the assembly Shabbat was the day um, uh, and all scripture is uh, inspired by God profitable for correction and training in righteousness it's still great one day one day the fullness of the new covenant will be fulfilled and we will simply be you know, the, the thing is, when you read a commandment, it's like, do this. Don't do this. I am Yahweh. Do this. Don't do this. I am Yahweh. Those are commandments. Yeshua in Matthew five eighteen, We don't have a slide for this one. But you know what? Let me read something from Hebrews. Before the, Hebrews 10, I mentioned it earlier. I want to show you that that the... the, the, the Rabbi Shaul explicitly says the law is a shadow of good things to come. I'm not making this up. I'm not making up my own theology. I have to agree with what the Bible says. I have to. Otherwise, I'm a false prophet. You ought to take me out back and stone me. For the law, this is Hebrews 10:1 for the law, since it is since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never be can never by the same sacrifices hereby. Paul goes on to interpret this the context of this is the sacrificial offerings, but explicitly he's, he makes, makes it clear the law is a shadow of the good things to come and not the substance. you know that the, when Moses came down from the mountain with Torah. That on that day, 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died because they were sinning. That's the ministry of death. The Torah. Do you know that on the same Hebrew day, I don't know how many thousands of years later, about three and a half. No, no, make, Subtract two. Maybe one, one and a half. About, I think. I could be off by a couple thousand years here. About one, one and a half thousand years later, on the same day of the Hebrew calendar, according to Judaism, Pentecost, or Shavuot, the Holy Spirit came down. Now, the Judaism doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit coming down. But they believe that that Jewish feast day, Shavuot, is the day that Moses came down with the Torah. Jewish Judaism teaches that the day that Moses came down with the Torah was Shavuot, which we call Shavuot, and also <laughs> called we call it Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down on the same day, one and a half thousand years later, and three thousand people got saved. Hmm? The law, since it has only a shadow of the good things that come and not the very form of things. There you go. Paul said it stone him. Not me. I just agree with him. Now, Matthew five eighteen. Well, I'm going to quote one thing. You've probably heard it. Yeshua tells us to be perfect. Hmm? He tells us that right after he expounds on the Torah. If I look at a woman with lust, I've committed adultery. Oh boy, now I'm mourning to myself. If all these things he explains to us, he takes the Torah, puts it back up in its unreachable righteousness, and then he says, be perfect. How can I be perfect? But that word means... A more like um, brought to its end and finished, the completeness, maturity. It's not be perfect, like follow every jot and tittle of the Torah to, uh, so that you can be saved. That's not what he's talking about. A maturity. And he says, not as a commandment, do this and don't do that. He says, be perfect. This is the difference between a commandment and a, and a, and a, a commandment that God gives us do this, don't do that. But he didn't say, do this so you can be perfect, and don't do that. He says simply, be perfect. And in that phrase, it reminds me of Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, when God said, let there be light. He just, let there be light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. What if you can... Grasp the concept that I'm trying to share with you about the spirit of God we will just be what he wants us to be because he's living in us I'm not telling anybody to break any commandments I intend on keeping every commandment that I understand and I know how to keep because I believe it's wisdom and I believe I'll be blessed it still is a good tree it just doesn't bring life but the thing that does bring life, the Spirit. If we can grab a hold of that concept that God is dwelling with us, we, we, he's, we are becoming what He wants us to be. You see, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God created them, and they were good. They were already being what God wanted them to be, and there's the paradox. The one thing that would cause them to fall also brings the knowledge of good and evil is this paradoxical twist. But the point is, one day, when we're when this new covenant is brought to its fullness of fruit, the the old covenant will totally be gone, and the new covenant will totally be in effect, and we will simply be restored back to just being. Except for well there is a little problem it's, it's, it's more of a theological problem except for to have to deal with the fact that we already ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil well that's dumb. done but the thing I want to say is just to be to be you know the form we say Yahweh right that's the, the existing one that's the way that God uh, reveals himself at his name the existing one the root word of Yahweh yes the word Yahweh is his name it has a root word it is be it's Hayah in fact, the first place that it appears in the Bible is when it's used there. Let there be light. Hayah light. Be light. And also Yeshua said, We are the light. And He said, Be perfect. The other two times that the, the Bible is, uh, taught, uses that word, the, the, the tenses, at least in the translations, are the first one is, Let there be light. No. Now, the first time it was used is actually in a, uh, forget it I'm getting off con, t- context here. the point is this let there be light the root word is, is be being God wants us to be just to be what we are supposed to be now what does this have to do with Hanukkah I said at the beginning this has something to do with Hanukkah there's a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting things about light and I won't talk about it because I'll be here all day In John chapter 10, we learn about a festival. Hopefully, every Christian will learn about this festival. The Feast of Dedication. It's also called the Feast of Lights. Yeah, here we go. It's right in our bulletin anyway. Nope, I think, yes, I think it is in our bulletin. Yes, it's in our bulletin. Has anybody in here not heard of Hanukkah? Um, Jenny, do you ever hear of Hanukkah? This feast here? Hanukkah that's okay don't be shy I want to show it to you in the gospel of John chapter 22 I put it right here in our bulletin it says and at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem it was winter and Yeshua was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon the colonnade of Solomon was a, was a, a place that was covered and it was, it was it was left in the original condition not paganized uh, by Herod And Yeshua was there. Now, the Feast of Dedication is also called the Festival of Lights. And Yeshua said, we are the light. And also, it's the dedication of the temple, by the way. And we are the temple. And God said, let there be light, you see. And the spirit that's in us ought not to be quenched. We ought to be trying to train ourselves to hear the spirit of God and do what the spirit is telling us. And in fact, that would never contradict anything that the Torah says. The two trees that were in there, in the garden, were both good for beauty and good for food. One of them brought death, and the Spirit gives life. And we need to really, um, as we go through this messianic experience, not let things distract us from the substance. Does that make sense? So we want to learn some things about Hanukkah. Because we do believe what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy 3.16, if you ever forget it, it's like, think of John 3.16, that's easy to remember. If you remember that, then you can remember 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture... Oh, yeah, here we go. Yes, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we still value this very highly because there's a lot of teaching that needs to be corrected over the centuries. I mean, I think I just corrected one today. So let's go on and and, and, uh, grab a firm hold of God's word and his spirit. And let's let's bring correction into our life, into our beliefs, and our and our walk. Let's bow our heads and pray.